0: Aloha, this is Dr. Tiki, and my prescription for you is to listen to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night.
1: Exterminate!
2: Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink.
0: Blink and you're dead. No!
3: Saturday Night. And from the holiday Inn, Hi Top Area 51, I am the Dome. Welcome to TalkCast 113 of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Joining us for the entire show tonight is a lovely young writer that I met at the South Coast Toy and, and Comic Fair, Casey Shoemaker. Casey, hi, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Joining us uh, from the TalkCast tonight. From the Four Color Vault Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, totally soddened out by his pre-Christmas rush of adrenaline, it's Illustrator X.
0: Otherwise known as Augustus Caesar. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Better than Augustus Goop, but...
4: <laughs> yes!
3: <laughs> and his lovely ingenue, the dead redhead. Hi, sweetie, how are ya?
4: Uh, everybody can call me one Arm tonight. Mm.
3: You know, I, I dated a one-armed bandit in college, but that was a whole different story. <laughs> did they
4: make a movie about that, though?
2: <laughs> yes, they absolutely did.
0: Never got three cherries in a row, did <laughs> you? I, I
3: actually did, but that's a whole other story, and thanks for playing the game. <laughs> From the uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, Catch and Release Nymphomaniac Center, it's Awake by Java, joining us from Erie, Indiana. How are you, my friend? Fantastic.
2: And you can call me Mr. Dog, which was the original name of Caesar brand dog food. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd share that little tidbit, oh. Mr. Dog. It didn't sell.
3: Quite the little the tidbit that it was, too. Thank yes. you very much. Kind of much.
2: like the dogs that eat... Mr. Dog or and Caesar, small yappy
3: type dog. <laughs> oh boy! Oh Lord! So here we go. Here we go. We're here. We're on. I think we're recording. We're doing everything, and uh, God knows because Kriana and Zombrian are not with us tonight. They they are with uh, Mal, who aims to misbehave. Who did a really good job of misbehaving, quite frankly, <laughs> and is recuperating. Mal will be well, and Rocco the blogging cat sends his regards to Mal. <laughs> we love you,
0: Mal. Get better, Mal. <laughs> Don't let Fox Network get you down,
3: Mal. Yeah, really. <laughs> Nothing should let Fox Network get you down. Speaking of Fox <laughs> Network, let's talk about this week's poll. And if you've ever been polled, you know just how painful that can be.
4: Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, we this week we had asked everybody to come up with their favorite detective Sci-fi. outside of the. Uh, no, we just said genre. The favorite genre detective that was outside of the usual crime drama type of situation.
3: Yeah, and I broke the rules immediately and put in Rick Castle. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, but but I just because of of Firefly, we kind of let him in there, but. Um, our top three—drum roll, fake drum roll. Um, number one was Batman, the world's greatest detective. He actually won,
3: which okay. shocks the hell out of me. But that's okay because I know, I know, I
4: know. But although technically some of that is crime drama, so he is. Oh yeah, he right is there. the Dark Knight. So. Well, you know,
2: Batman started out in Detective Comics. That's, that's very true. true. Right. I know this because I got I downloaded a whole bunch and tried to read them. My eyes out yeah, he, does, he doesn't do
4: horrible. much detecting anymore.
3: I was going to say, yeah, there's a whole lot of, like, whiff, bang, boom, bang, <laughs> blood, guts, I'm surprised
2: more. because, you know, they call it the golden age of comics.
4: Yeah. Is there
0: a little tarnish on the gold?
2: <laughs> I think it was actually... More like the uh,
3: the Bronze Age of comics.
4: There is a Bronze Age. There,
3: there is a Bronze Age. A nice try, though. Oh, oh. How about...
4: Uh... Platinum?
3: How about Pewter? <laughs>
4: how
3: about... Pewter? <laughs> how about <laughs> it was or, horrible. It, anyway. Some of it was really bad, yeah. There's no way so so, around Batman
4: it. Batman was number one. Coming in is one of my favorites for the Dead Redhead. Coming in second was Rick Deckard from D- Android Stream of Electric Sheep. slash better which made me happy. And then third, which I, again, was very happy about, was Harry Dresden. So all you folks out there, who, because Harry Dresden did get his own TV series for a while, and hey. it was actually a really good series. All
0: y'all, you know, not one vote was cast for Michael Knight of Knight Rider. <laughs> <laughs> the Hasselhoff has been dissed. Well, well I, 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 I... What's I, the name I, of that of guy comments?
3: from... Uh... Oh,
2: hold on! I'll just Google it. Never mind.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I guess Hasselhoff is just, just never coming on the show now. <laughs>
4: yeah,
3: don't say that. Don't say that. The perm will be here. <laughs> the firm perm is coming to <laughs> Sci-Fi <laughs> Saturday. Oh my! <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it. You Gently. know, Dirk Gently. Dirk G- Gently. Gently, yeah. Dirk Gently, Gently, didn't Gently didn't make the list at all. Oh no, God, nobody, nobody even nobody even suggested
0: Dirk Gently. That's the thing about these polls. People email me three weeks later going, hey, what about this? I'll be like, well, that would have
2: been Why great. Why didn't you
4: write it down? That's right. You're right.
2: <laughs> the, the interesting thing is that they- he now has one vote. <laughs> and I
3: think that's you. There Yeah, but there were a couple of really, really interested ones uh, Kolchak, the, the Night Stalker, I thought was a really good, yes. good one.
4: Kolchak <sighs> needed more votes. Kolchak did need more votes. Michael, Michael
3: Garibaldi
0: Kulchak.
2: got a couple no, of votes. Even, got...
0: I'm a huge Babylon 5 fan. I would not put
4: Garibaldi down. I don't know how much of a detractive. Sherlock Holmes only has
2: two votes. Well, and it even has an appendation at the end for Mr. Cumberbatch.
3: Yes. Now it has votes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't well, vote after, after the fact. fact. That doesn't work. I uh, do yeah, love
4: I just thought of another one that could have been on there. Yes. Holmes and Yo-Yo. Oh, my, oh my
0: God. That <laughs> <laughs> could have
3: been. Good, Good point.
4: point. Oh,
0: my God. You remember that show.
4: Of course I do. It of George course.
3: George. Everybody remembers that show if, that show, if they, were they were alive wow. when that's when why, we were that's alive. Why
4: you married of
0: course, it was so derivative of the Get Smart storyline with uh, Jaime the Robot. But I digress.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's why you married me. Because yeah, I happen to know these things. This is true. <laughs>
3: It's, it's a
2: good a reason, reason to make it. So, well, but anything... fan... he also married you because of the fantastic gifts that this you is true. are able to find. In oh, fact,
0: and I've, uh... and your... <laughs> I've been unwrapping them ever since. But...
2: <laughs> your, 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 uh, your pick for this week for our geeky <laughs> gift, gift ideas uh, is fantastic.
3: It really it is. Really it really is. is. So you get to lead, sweetheart. Go for All it. All
4: right. I suggest that I've tried to give everybody something interesting besides uh trying to get Fritz Library books, which I still push. Oh, well, wait, wait, for what now? For any festival you celebrate at the end of December.
0: Okay, so geeky gift ideas for yes. the holiday season? Yes. Okay. That man. is correct, X. Wow. <laughs> hey, just didn't want us to be throwing out random information. This either. could be
3: this could be geeky gift ideas for your nephew's bris, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's fine. The idea is she's got something that I think is incredibly cool.
2: Very fun. Yeah, but you know what? It's not a good gift for a brisk because of the tentacles.
3: No, no it's, it's actually, actually a great tentacles. gift because oh, of oh, the yeah, tentacles.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what, I, what
4: I'm trying to talk about are <laughs> plush Cthulhus. Yeah, some of them are really stupid. I wouldn't go with the one that looks like Santa or some of the other more ridiculous ones. But the, Unless
2: you the celebrate Cthulhu mess.
0: More, the more serious plush Cthulhu's. Yeah,
4: not the slippers. I don't know if I'd go for the slippers, but they have different sizes. And I know we have one plush Cthulhu in our bay window, which probably freaks out the neighbors. And then I have my little tiny one that I keep on my dashboard, who happens to be my uh, car's uh, parking god. Because yeah. I throw him a quarter and he gets me a good parking spot all the time.
3: When we went, went to the UFO conference UFO. in Exeter and you called upon the parking god, where did we end up?
4: right next to where we were hello
3: right, right at the right, right in back. front of the damn building it was amazing
4: yeah when i first bought him he was kind back. of uh,
2: come down from his older days you know he used to be the ender of days and now
3: he's just kind of ender's now he's game but that's he's now. the <laughs> ender of games <laughs> so java so, what, what do you, do you have?
2: have well you know i've been doing a lot of uh, accessories and the the one that I just got this week, and it was awesome because I ordered it on Monday and it arrived on Wednesday, is something called an OLO clip. Thank and you, Amazon a... Prime. <laughs> oh, actually, this is this is straight from the company. This was a Kickstarter project that uh, got funded, and um, it's a set of lenses for my iPhone camera. And so, if if you're uh, an iPhone photographer, and more and more people are. Uh, Pick up these lenses. There's a uh, fisheye lens and a macro lens and a wide-angle lens, and they all work wonderfully. How do you put
4: it on your iPod?
2: It's on the the iPhone. iPhone,
4: iPhone, how do you put it on there?
2: It clips right onto the iPhone, right over the camera, and it comes off really easy. So it takes about a second to put on there um, and a second to switch out the lenses. It's even faster to switch out than a DSLR. So um, check
3: it out. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Very, very cool. X, what do you got?
0: Uh, I've actually got two of them. Um, First one I've got is um, from an FX creator, Mike Brown. He's a local guy, but what he does is, you know, you go into any comic store in the world and you can get statuettes of different superheroes, villains, creatures, what have you. And I'm looking Uh, forward
3: to my, my Harley Quinn this year. But, uh, My uh, annual Harley Quinn statuette of one form or another. Go ahead. And
0: you can keep looking. But, uh, <laughs> but what Mike Brown will do, he, he's one of these guys where he will customize one. You yes. call him up and say, I want a Harley Quinn
4: with carrying
0: the severed head of Robin uh. <laughs> with Jason and Freddie flanking her. Hello. He will, he he will, will create that. that for you. Yeah he's got a, a uh, he's actually got a clip fest on youtube right now of all the different ones he's done and you know people contact him from all over the country all over the world and he makes a nice uh, living at it
4: is my head on that clip fest do you know
0: uh probably he did he did uh, do a movie way back in the day where yeah there's a yes. there's an axe through your head isn't that
4: right no i got my head twisted off
0: your head was twisted off That's oh right. silly me
4: what um, somebody else's head
0: right And uh, the other item I had, uh, our recent guest, Lance Henriksen. Uh, You can order a piece of his character from the movie Near Dark. I should go get that. It's a paltry $30. And what office, dentist's waiting room, (laughs) basement, you know, billboard wouldn't be brightened up by the lance Henriksen vampire cowboy character absolutely
3: <laughs> yeah it should be in every every uh waiting room of every dentist in the united states
0: and you know you know what you'd want to buy two because one one might get damaged yeah and you know what it might not be available anymore you, so you better get three <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well for my gift i i actually had two as well uh One was, uh, I was just kind of perusing some stuff by Ben Bova, and uh, I came across the fact that he's got a new book coming out. Get out. Power Play. And it looks really cool. Of course, Ben, you know, is such a slouchy writer. I mean, (laughs) he's probably one of the most brilliant science fiction writers around today. Uh, Grandmaster. Uh, it is being published in January, early January. You can pre-order it now. I will have the pre-order link on the doc. But if you need something right now, and I mean right now... um, I need it now, Dome. Nancy Drew Vampire Slayer. Where did that come from? (laughs) That's all I have to say is, you know, with all of the twisty turny vampire slayers uh and 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 didn't joss whedon do a series about that concept (laughs) somewhat somewhat and (laughs) and this is a graphic novel first of all it's it's tongue-in-cheek the entire way through and damn it i it's engaging it's it's one of those crossovers that you look at it and you go this should not work but it does, and it's really cool. I really enjoyed it. I really recommend it. It's it's really cool, fun, and that, my friends. And
2: stay tuned. Stay tuned for the Hardy Boys, uh, Ghost Hunters, and thank you, uh, thank you. you. know,
3: I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, they are there,
0: and the Venture Brothers DVD set. <laughs>
2: Yay!
0: Uh, so, did anything else happen in Sci-Fi? Tom Swift
2: fights
3: aliens. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Tom Swift did that, actually, but that's okay. See, because you guys you guys are too young to remember this crap. Oh, here Uh-oh. we go. You guys! I read, I read wait, wait, wait. The Hardy I Boys. It's not fair
0: of you to do this while Kriana's gone, and she can't drop in the music.
3: Mm-hmm. That's exactly why I'm doing it Uh-oh. now. <laughs>
2: My students read Nancy Drew and The Hardy Boys, and I was kind of taken aback by that, because I thought that those books were completely... Boring, and uh, they love them, so it's weird.
3: Nice. One of the things you know about juvenile fiction is that it really transcends a lot of time.
4: <laughs> Twilight, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, Twilight, Twilight is not, not juvenile,
3: juvenile fiction. No, wait, Twilight no, is crap. Right.
0: I actually reread. Um, I haven't read it in thirty years, but I reread The House with a Clock in Its Walls this week, mm-hmm. and by John bolairs, and I was blown away by. How good that book was That it still stands up after all that
3: time
2: God, is it a good book If you look at some Juvenile fiction
3: A lot of it, more than you would think I mean, a lot of Heinlein's stuff that, That was classified as juvenile at the time Really sits well Some of it, not quite But a lot of it really, really does and, you know, it's not a genre you want to write off, especially if it's from a previous generation or two generations back. It's really worth giving it a shot just, just to see, because some of it really does stand up very well. Mm. Now, and, some things don't stand yeah, up very it, well. Yeah, some of it does.
2: <laughs>
0: and, uh, you know, speaking of things that, that just haven't
3: really worked... Jamie
0: yeah. and Rory are finally being written out of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you, the, the
3: reason, reason you're, doing you're doing that is because Kriana isn't is here tonight, tonight, isn't
0: it? it? And uh, oh, does Criana like them? That's a shame she's not here to defend this.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I am so happy. I like that them too, and I'm. I think it's a horrible thing that they're not going to be in. Well, actually, they are going to be in um, next in season. the next series. They're just not. That's going to be their last series. Yeah. But, Which is fine.
0: All right, so what you're saying is there's one more season, one more season to avoid before I can start watching. Oh my god!
3: (laughs) (laughs) They're not that bad, you know. They're not my favorite companions by any stretch of the the imagination. imagination. I mean, you You know, know, I'm still a Rose Tyler guy. I will be,
2: I will be very sad to see Amy Pond's legs leave. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? And you know. That whole area where her legs meet her back—I I think it's just going to be horrible. I'm not going to be sad to see Rory go. No, nobody. I will think be. that he's adorable.
0: Well, right. do, do but, you want to you
4: know for Rory.
0: I, I have to say, yeah, she's good to look at. But if if the only thing you can defend her with is like a Frank Purdue
2: description, breast and thigh,
0: there's not, there's no character <laughs> development. We want character development.
2: I think that she's a great character. I think that I think that she's. Um, I think that she's uh, just like Matt Smith is a welcome, uh, you know, change to the. Did the... somebody
3: just screech? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. All right,
0: Matt Smith being a welcome change to quality and and fine acting, and you know, I suppose you know you may have a point.
3: <laughs> All right, oh, Wait, uh, I... let let me let me intercede here for just a moment. Each doctor is going to have his detractors and his supporters. Lord knows. The doctor wears a rainbow scarf. <laughs> each each of the companions is going to have their own detractors and proponents. I I cannot for the life of me think that this particular group is the weakest that we have ever seen by any stretch of the imagination.
4: Uh what's her name? God who's Perry. Well now, who's going to be I the next Doctor Perry. Who?
3: But I, I, but, but my point my point is they're not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. Uh and you know when after Eccleston left and it was Tennant and Rose Tyler, man, I'm telling you, those two seasons were electric. Absolutely yep. electric. I didn't
2: I like Rose Tyler. See, and that's the thing. I didn't like Rose Tyler as a companion. I didn't like her. I, I, she annoyed me.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, I get that because that happens. You know, uh, some like I said, it's going to go either way. But I mean, if all you're looking at is is as you were said, uh, the Frank Perdue look. Guess who is working is lobbying hard to be the next Doctor Who? Rowan Atkinson. Who? (laughs) Septuagenarian sex object Helen Mirren.
4: No, see, I don't see that working. You
3: okay. know what? I do. I, I mean, she's, do not.
4: She's definitely no. hot. There's no, no question that no. the woman is hot. But I
0: have no problem with her being Romana. I have no problem with her being an established Time Lord or a new Time Lord character, but
2: not the Doctor.
4: No, that should be Joanna Lumley. <laughs> no.
2: I mean, look, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that she's not a fantastic actress because she is. And she's pretty attractive still. Yep. Um that said, the doctor's never been a woman. That's not to right. say Time Lords haven't been women. There you but go. But do- the doctor hasn't. And I don't know. I don't I don't it would it would have to it would profoundly change things for me.
3: I, but but, I, but here's the thing. I feel Each doctor has pref- if you look at just the last 5 doctors since since the series rebooted uh, from Eccleston all the way up to the current Matt Smith. Each of them has been profoundly, significantly different. Has taken a whole different twist at what and who the doctor is. While keeping the core aspect of it, there is no reason why the doctor cannot be a woman Shouldn't be a woman, and shouldn't be a terrific actress who could carry the role. I can't think of. Well, I can think of a number of people who i would like to see in it. But damn it, Helen Mirren would be terrific.
0: Well, by that, by that twist, then right. uh, this, the Starship Troopers movie was a perfect adaptation what? of Heinlein's work. How did you go from A to X? <laughs>
2: Because I'm illustrator. Okay,
4: I, X. I would like to I would because like illustrator to try...
2: always goes to X. Ah, yeah. thank you.
4: <laughs> I would like to nominate. I'd like to nominate James Nesbitt again, the guy who played Jekyll in the but Jekyll see, series. He was so. He, in fact, he had been rumored to be the next Doctor, and I think he would have. You out know what? There. You know
2: what? I just I, I just watched with my students this movie called uh, A Miracle. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about mm-hmm. the um, 1980. Uh, oh, the Hawks! Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, movie. yeah. Team so yeah. yeah. to beat mm-hmm. the so, And there's a point in that movie where the coach says, I'm not looking for the best guys, I'm looking for the right guys. And I think that 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 would apply to, you know, the doctor. It's not about finding the best actors, it's about finding the right actors. And I think that thus far in the reboot, they've done the right thing. Eccleston was a great person to bring it back. David Tennant took... It to a level that made... Honestly, I didn't watch until David Tennant was a doctor. I watched uh, the first season after Eccleston had already left, and D- David Tennant made me love Doctor Who. I had no idea what it was before then. And Matt Smith has made me excited about Doctor Who again, because I don't feel like every episode is going to be a, a deep uh, investigation of his personal traumas anymore. And so I think that I think that the people who are casting are are aware of what this series needs. And I'm not sure if I want to see a seasoned actor in that role. I want to see somebody new.
3: Somebody who
2: doesn't come to the role with any preconceptions who can make it their own. And and
3: Matt Smith isn't leaving. Well, no, he's not leaving this season. He wants to stick around for the anniversary series. And uh, I think he's he's earned earned the the right right to, you know, (laughs) based on what he's done. done. Absolutely, and and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the uh, the whole anniversary. Is it 50 years?
0: Is that about right? Uh, November 22nd, 1963. So yeah, it's coming up.
3: My God, that that's uh, that's a well played string right there, my wow. friends. Wow, it really is.
0: Yeah, I mean the only thing better than that would be a solar powered <laughs> Enterprise mailbox.
2: <laughs> Good Lord. Good. Lord. And there is one and you can see it on the link and that's yes. pretty much all there is to say.
3: <laughs> What the hell else can you say about that? Thank uh, you.
0: A solar-powered mailbox. I wonder why a mailbox would need to be powered in the first place, but that's a good if it's got the enterprise theme. Well, Because what, uh, I'm sick and tired of
2: my wind-up
3: mailbox, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> good god, young man. Yeah. Have you no respect for it Of course, all and you're you.
2: also you're also you're also sick and tired of three D Dome.
3: Yeah, you, you're you're right, absolutely
2: am. Um, I'm
0: the only one.
2: And and you know what? It seems as though it seems as though the public is taking your stance on three D. Because ap- apparently three uh, D releases of movies are accounting for less and less income for movies
3: the, um, the yeah the uh, cuteness aspect has really just worn off it and now it's a matter of well so, is this going to give me a headache or what that was me
2: 70 percent of avatars gross income was due to their 3d right showings. absolutely um, but with
4: fine just, with the uh, good with that
2: Right. But, but if you compare Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, only 43% came from 3D ticket sales. And, um, you know, it seems as though the public doesn't want 3D. I think that's a little short-sighted. But I think that's
3: short-sighted, too. I think the public wants 3D when it's in- in- integral to it. Avatar really worked well because it was a 3D movie. And what it was I, an
4: alien landscape.
3: Yeah. What, what happened afterwards that is that people, you know, said, well, let's make Jackass 3D and see what right. happens.
0: Yeah, and right. Clash of the Titans, and oh, yeah. The thing with Avatar is that beautiful.
1: You know? It yes. was. It was a beautiful movie, but, you know, you get something like The Immortals, where they're just throwing blood and body parts at you because they can. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. We're, we're the,
3: when the credo of the movie is, we're doing this because we can, there's right. really yeah. no point to it. Yeah. Agreed.
0: Exactly. But we and, saw that's, Hugo. and that
3: doesn't have to be the case.
2: I saw Hugo. Yeah.
0: Ugh, yeah.
2: There you go. Yeah, totally. I, Hugo was an amazing it, movie. And, I, and Yeah.
0: Oh good, I'm glad you like it. See, and
2: I saw it in 3D, and I thought it was fantastic in 3D. It was it was a, a wonderful movie. The three D only added to it, and it wasn't obnoxious in any way. I went to see it with some friends who aren't aren't big fans of three D. They liked it. They saw the 3D, they didn't get
3: headaches. But Chavez, you know, see so that's that's the key. Well, That's the key that it enhances the story. To be in 3D. If it doesn't, there's There's no reason for it to happen, which is what scares me about the Avengers. Uh Uh-oh.
4: Here we go.
2: But see, Joss Whedon has said that it's not going to be obnoxiously 3D. It's not going to be 3D for for the sake of it being 3D.
0: Okay. Well, then, why make that it 3D? Clear. Okay, so well, you know what this means? In May, come May 4th, we have to sit in the theater and count every time Captain America's shield comes right at us.
2: Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, though. The, the Avengers what not being shot in 3D. It's not being shot on 3D cameras. It's right. being shot in, in 2D uh, with regular movie cameras, but it's going to be enhanced with 3D, enhanced with quotation marks, um, to make it look... 3d but that's that's the real thing i think that when 3d gets annoying is when it's been post converted yes. when it yes. when it's been made into 3d after being shot and that's what really scares me about star wars being re-released i want i i will go see phantom menace despite the fact that i kind of hate it <laughs> <laughs>
3: despite, despite the fact that, fact that we all kind of hated it at it this point yep. yeah
2: yep. i was i was i was born with this gene that says oh. that I have to give George Lucas my money. It's, it's-
3: <laughs> I think we all were.
2: Yeah, I've got I've got a separate savings account that is marked George Lucas, and it's just,
3: <laughs> dear George, suck this money up. Thank you. Yeah.
4: And you know, you know, talking about geeks. Now I need my transition piece here. Talking about geeks. Ew. Thank you. Um, there was just a TV show on the Learning Channel where they talked about speed dating at the new york comic-con
3: oh good lord
4: oh yes And this this was very interesting because it was a mix between people who you know really did have a shot of going on dates and some people (laughs) who it was very sad to see that no you're probably gonna live into in your mom's basement until you're about (laughs) 60 so um (laughs) <laughs> but it Lord. was very it okay. was when it worked it was really cute they had like one couple that uh she was oh. dressed up like a robin and he was iron man and he was iron man and they just looked adorable and they got along together and then there was a guy who kept making he wasn't even dressed but he kept making wookie noises at people oh,
0: Lord. yeah and, <laughs> and it was, was like, like
4: really dude <laughs> wow
0: okay helpful hint people don't make guttural wookie noises if you're trying to land a date <laughs>
3: <laughs> this from a man Unless who is his bride on a zombie you
2: movie. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: uh, you know, it would amaze uh, me, and, you know and what amaze me? You know, if I was at like we've we you no know, we being the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con. Oh yes, aren't we so wonderful? Why yes, we are. <laughs> anyways Anyways, you know what wow that was
3: a subtle plug for no apparent reason well played
0: imagine like anyone going to people at the con going would you like to take a couple hours out of your day that you just paid for to sit in a room and do this speed
2: dating thing
4: no it was a half an hour
2: hey i'd do it (laughs) i'd do it I it, i think it sounds like fun all right then we're, hey, we're, we're signing your ass up for it.
4: There's <laughs> some pretty good looking ladies at the Boston hey, Comic
2: Con. So. If, if they do it at Boston Comic Con, I'm there. I'm All just,
4: right, there we go. I was gonna respond it.
2: Okay. And ladies, just remember I'll I'll report back.
3: <laughs> we'll Once do we'll do a dome, video podcast of this over one. Over the dome. Oh Lord, don't even <laughs> go there. <laughs> Hey, project. so there's, there's that means that before I come to Boston, I'm going to have to trim my neck beard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, for everybody's sake, you're going to have to do that. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a Kickstarter project uh, for a movie coming out, and uh, yeah, I, I know what a shock. Uh, there's like thousands of them, and you, you kind of wade through the Kickstarter website looking to see if there's something cool. Um and this is cool. Um, there's a movie called Edgar's Comics, and it is the story of how an artist's comic collection changed the comics culture and became worth fifty million dollars in the Edgar process.
4: And it has a theory about Edgar.
0: All right, for years, the Edgar Church collection, right, is basically that the it was like this rumor for years that there was this collection found in a barn. Okay, here's <laughs> the here's the actual issue. story. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, yes. go ahead.
3: <laughs> Edgar Church was a commercial artist in Denver, Colorado. Yes. That was his job. Yeah. Church was in New York City in the early nineteen forties trying to get work as a comic book artist. In nineteen seventy seven When his family went through all of his stuff, uh, when he was near death, they found a vintage collection of comic books. Just
2: absolutely a a collection of vintage comic books from the golden era. So
4: in pristine shape.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The era of rock. <laughs> okay, that was
3: the 70s. Uh, now, a gentleman by the name the era of... crappy of, comics. <laughs> a gentleman by the name of Rosansky bought the collection for $1,800 in 1977. That collection has been bought and sold over many, many times, piece by piece by piece, well in excess of $50 million. Yeah,
0: they... Um... The the thing about the Edgar Church collection is like he had the first issue of every, I believe he had like a a copy of every single comic for like 1939 to like 1950, something like that. Uh, I don't know the specifics, but I do know that because he stored it in this particular area in his barn or his cellar, they were preserved so well.
3: That they, they were rated ed- at 9.5 and above. Right, every and there are, there,
0: are, there are copies that they're the only existing copy. Uh, I, for I years, mean, I was. He hasn't. I, I, I thought for years, I was like, well, here is proof of time travel. Someone, <laughs> because I'm like, if I had a time machine, what would I do? Goddamn right, I'd go back and I'd buy a copy of every single comic book. Yeah. From the golden age. Really, and I that's what you
2: do what you would do with the time machine. X that's and, uh, what you would do. You wouldn't like right. go back and kill Hitler. Uh, well.
4: Uh, Nobody like, ever like, goes like, back of, to kill Hitler.
2: Of I, I can't you wouldn't say go
0: back that and on stop the podcast because the of course, Listen, the Nazis <laughs> have sensitive time tracing equipment that would tell if I was on the way. I have to be very careful about how I kill Hitler, okay? <laughs>
1: That's true. He's Thank tried. You.
2: He's tried. <laughs> you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have stopped the Phantom Menace from being made.
1: I
0: did stop it, but I went back too far, and American Graffiti was never made. And the legions of American Graffiti fans chased me throughout the time vortex, and it was just
2: ugly. And I put everything back.
4: Oh boy. In
3: any case, Chuck, you would gone back, guys. <laughs>
2: Being a jerk to Harlan Ellison, this is what you would have been... no. yeah, He's got oh, a I point.
0: Okay, before we invoke the wrath of Harlan. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: don't
4: need any dead dogs? No, I mean, this is.
2: It sounds. It sounds like an amazing project. I mean, th- there are some amazing comics in this pro- uh, in this collection, and the the video, the movie, looks like it's worth uh, funding so
3: totally worth funding so we're going to put the link to the uh kickstarter project for this take a look at it um this this looks like some really really cool interesting stuff about something that we all have boxes of somewhere in our house i'm looking at four long boxes right now going god i have way too many way way too many of these i don't have any boxes
4: Yes, it is that time actually, gentlemen
3: It is that time, it's time time to to bring bring the lady in (laughs) Bring the lady in who's been making comments in the background through the entire show Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to reintroduce Casey Shoemaker, author Hi Casey, welcome to the show Hi We met at the South Coast Toy and Comic Fair Yes, we did and you were there at the table with the New Hampshire Horror, Horror Writers Association.
4: Careful, though. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> New Eastern Horror Writers
3: Association. Close enough for government work. I, I, I can't even remember my own name. There are days. And
4: Be quiet, X. It,
3: <laughs> we're, we're not going to talk about what X can't remember. In any case. <laughs> Uh we talked for a little bit. You sent me a copy of your book. I uh, read the book. Kind of liked it a lot. Urban fantasy, very cute. Uh there's a lot of urban fantasy out there right now, so you, you you've kind of tapped into the uh the current milieu quite nicely. But what I found interesting was this little band of brothers at this table. you know you know what i'm saying it was just kind of you were a little bit i mean you're you're in a room with a bunch of artists you got frankie washington two tables away from you (laughs) holding court and frankie definitely was holding court that day he had a throng around him the entire day and uh as i recall there was a a belly dancer with a snake there through portions of the afternoon.
4: Yes, there was.
3: And there you guys were. And that must have been... It it was funny because I was looking at the uh, blog post from the New England Horror Writers Association about getting out from behind the computer. I I believe it was titled Breaking Out of the Vacuum. In which you talked about getting out in public and kind of meeting the people who read your work
0: mm-hmm.
3: and i thought there was a really interesting take on it to talk about what that event was like for you and what it was like for the group and you know uh what what events like that do for you guys
1: well to be real honest with you we really didn't know what to expect going into that because we had only done a couple of events. I've actually only been in the group for about maybe six months or so. So this was only my second event. And I think it's a great opportunity to actually get out and meet people who read your book because I mean, most of our time as writers is spent all by ourselves being very introspective and, you know, shy even. And it's difficult to actually put yourself next to your work and say, you know, I wrote this and sign your name and talk to people about it because there's always that worry of criticism. But it was really exciting to do the event before we had done this one. We had gotten such huge, you know, wonderful, positive feedback. People would come up just to talk to us, just to say, how did you get into the horror genre? So I was really excited about doing the, um, the comic book event. Because this used to be something I did a lot when I was younger, I would go to Comic-Cons and if there were ever people selling books, I would obviously spend most of my money there. I really thought this was going to be where we shined. And it was a strange occurrence because there was a disconnect between us and the people there to shop. And I don't really know why that was, I still haven't quite figured it out, but it did give us a great opportunity to meet connections like you guys, which was amazing. But for some reason, it was just odd to try to figure out how to communicate with some of the people who go to these comic book events, even though we used to be those people, and to try to figure out, where's that disconnect with that audience? Is it us? Is it them? Is it the event? It was a little bit confusing at first.
3: But writers, as a a rule, um, sit in quiet rooms in front of computers, or in Harlan's case, typewriters, still, (laughs) and... Basically, it's a solitary pursuit. It is. And they don't interact with their fan base much during or even after the process as a rule. It's usually a very structured event. This was not a structured event at all.
1: No, it wasn't.
3: And, uh, you know, there were a couple of artists there. Well, there were a couple. There were like 10 or 15 artists there, actually. And they were... Struggling, I think, in the same way that you guys were in some cases.
1: Well, it is hard because it forces you to come out of your shell, the shell that you're very comfortable in, and you don't really know how people are going to take that because you're you're, you're stepping outside your comfort zone, so already you are not at your most natural. And people don't get an opportunity to meet writers very often, so they, they don't know how to interact with you either. They know how to interact with your work but they don't necessarily know how to interact with you. So it was, it's just difficult. I think it's really important to connect with your audience because you sit behind your computer for hours and hours writing it for them, and to actually put yourself out there and see who they are is a very different experience. So,
3: so the questions you wanted to be asked but weren't asked were how did you start from writing about whatever it is you used to write about and got into the horror genre where did when did you take that turn what was it that did it for you
1: i actually think i always started there i started writing when i was seven years old and at that point i was reading stephen king and dean coons and I was <laughs>
3: nice there. that's awesome, awesome.
1: Yeah. And that's always what I gravitated towards. And there were definitely years when I was in high school when I, I gravitated away from it and felt like I should try to explore other genres, but that has always been where I've been most comfortable.
3: That's that's great. Well Casey,
0: tell us a little bit about silver vengeance.
1: Well, silver vengeance is I guess the hot term now is urban fantasy. I frankly can't keep up with what they're calling genres these days. <laughs>
3: Don't worry about pigeonholes. They never work for very long. Yeah,
1: no kidding. Um, It's an urban fantasy, but it is about um, a hybrid creature of werewolf and witch, where they have the ability to transform into deadly wolves, which are very primal and raw and vicious, but they also have the ability to use magic in, in a cunning, powerful way, and it's Basically a character book, what I like to think of it, as, you know, these group of characters who are learning about their own identities and learning how to interact with this hybrid group that is both villain and and hero at the same time.
3: So you have families in this book, and there's kind of an awkward family dynamic that runs through... <laughs> uh, the, the book, it's I, I really don't know how to describe the family dynamic that takes place. Maybe you can.
1: Well, I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy about books is really complex family relationships because we can all relate to it very easily, and you know, there's def- the def- definitely a connection between the sisters who have sort of bonded over their issue with their parents and I think everyone can sort of understand or has known someone who's had that kind of relationship with the mother that they have where she has had something happen in her life which has made her very difficult and you know mean even and they just never got that relationship settled and that was a primary focus in my book was to develop the mother-daughter relationship, even between both of the sisters. Yeah. And the fact that she was keeping secrets and keeping the her sister away. I like the, the idea of the pair of sisters and the generation gap between them.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not a Mother's Day present. <laughs> <laughs> I no, say, I read that at the like end of the first chapter, I was like, yeah, I'm not
3: going to pass this on to my folks. <laughs> Mom is not going to want to read this book.
0: I mean, there are plenty of other people I would pass it on to, but not them.
4: <laughs> Casey, let me ask you now. You, do you only have one for this series right now? One book for this series?
1: This is the first book. I am planning a, a total of five right now.
4: Okay, because it's, it's just the beginning in uh, the beginning of the book. Reading it, and I'm like, this feels like a series. This feels like you're writing things that are going to need to, like p- uh, peeling an onion back and get each layer. The further you go on in the books.
1: Well, I'm glad you say that because that was definitely my goal was to draw people into a multi book series and to get people attached to these characters.
3: Cool. And it's really interesting that your setting is. New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I I can't think of a less urban horror setting, perhaps.
1: Well, wow. New King, Haven have you been had a new haven. <laughs> I just, I think New England is really creepy at times. I think yes. that I grew up in Florida, so the move to New England was, was shocking at times. And I think it, it's a great host environment for these sort of underground secret groups. And, you know, the, the idea of the witchcraft sort of stemming, having so much history in New England was definitely a draw for me. First, but I think it really helps give that ominous, dark feeling, especially wintertime in New England. I mean, it gets dark here at like four thirty at night, so it's easy to to draw people into that creepy, you know, ominous feeling. Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> the reason Lovecraft wrote all of his stuff here.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> the reason Stephen King writes up here That's too. Right. yes, good.
1: there is a reason. Yep.
3: It's very, very, very creepy. It's, uh, I, again, yeah, I keep, keep getting, getting drawn back into the family dynamic that, that's here. Um, and I, you I really were...
0: Really oh, go go ahead, ahead, X. I was just going to say, the thing that reminded me of, um, and there's a movie coming out soon, It's Dark Shadows. I mean, you ever see the old Dark Shadows series?
1: I did, a long time ago. Yay! Yeah. It's, that, was sticking,
0: that was sticking out I mean part of me was like saying Oh my god Barnabas Collins is going to show up At some point And then like and a Dead Redhead like you said Where it's like you also get that feeling Like we're on the start of an epic I'm like oh and I'm, when's Duncan Idaho going to show up <laughs> And again and again and again But no I, I can definitely feel that What is it When did you move to New England from Florida
1: I moved here about eight years ago
0: Okay yeah. Okay. Thin blood.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> well let me I ask I asked what I did, Casey, because in reading it and it sounds like a multi volume book from the beginning is that that seems to be sort of the trend right now you know your your laurel hamiltons and your um i'm not going to remember everybody's name the true blood series it's like series people are writing series now instead of single books now did you were you thinking about that well you said you wanted to readers to understand these people but Right off the bat, were you like, okay, I'm going to need a lot of time to explain all this, so I'll need to write it that way? Or did the first one kind of come into your head like, wow, I have these ideas and this would probably make a decent book?
1: I always intended for it to be a series because I personally enjoy reading series a lot more. I get kind of sad when I close the book at the end and know that that's just it for those characters that I've invested in. Okay. And I think you have a lot more flexibility when you go in it knowing that it's going to be a series because you don't have to tie up all the loose ends and you can add a lot more mystery that you're, you're – that your readers can get involved with, and it gives you a much more broad scope to draw an entire world of, of people and settings. And I always wanted it to be a series. Hmm, that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
3: So, so it's a family series. It's a series of, of sisters together. It's a series about running a restaurant. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> I mean,
3: it gets it, you. You really do set this in some very odd places and go, you know, this is not Merlots from True Blood. This is an upscale restaurant.
1: Right. And
3: and, uh, you're sitting there and you're going I I, I sat there and I was just kind of nonplussed and I'm going where is she going? Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, it was that kind of deal. So there's some nice twists to it. How's the response been so far with people who've read it?
1: People really like the Where Witch concept, and they're, they're very intrigued by that. They like the suspense. I've been told by everyone that it's a very quick read, that they get into it, and they just don't want to put it down. And it's been getting really good reviews on, on the Amazon, so that makes me happy. But it's, um, it's a fast, uncomplicated read that you, know, you just get drawn into, and then you immediately want to read the next book at the end.
0: So that's what I've been told. To see that?
1: that will be out next year. I'm thinking probably the fall of next year. And it's going to be actually about demons. It's going to be the same core characters, but they're going to be fighting demons. And the villains will be sort of similar. There'll be some villain crossover from this book to the next one.
3: Let's talk about your writing process a little bit. When when, When did it hit you that, this was where you were going, this is what you wanted to do, this is how you wanted to do it. At what point did that actually become the drive for you?
1: You mean with this book or writing in general? Writing
3: in general, I think.
1: Writing in general? Yeah. I, it really did hit me when I was seven years old. I We were given an assignment in school to write a short story. It was the first time I was ever asked to do that. I went home and it was first time I ever sat down to write anything. And I really loved it. And when I came to school, it wasn't complete. It was probably 15 pages, handwritten on notebook paper, front and back. My teacher called me into her office to speak privately. And I thought, oh, shoot, Matt, it's because it's not finished. And it wasn't what she thought at all. She thought I copied it out of another book. And we had this <laughs> and forth where she's like where did you come up with this and I'm you know I'm seven I'm like in my head (laughs) I don't understand what the problem is and that's when I first realized that I could do something that a lot of other people in my class couldn't do and I had so much fun doing it and I had spent you know time before that reading it and I thought this is awesome I get to create stories how I always thought they should be and I can combine my love of reading and writing and I've been doing it ever since
3: so when it comes to Putting this series together, the first book, and actually planning out that you're going to do a series of five for it, what's your day like when you're when you're actually writing
1: well i either have writing days, reading days, or researching days. I can't really do all of them at the same time. And I go through different phases where I feel like I need to plan out my book. And I do a lot of research when I start a novel. So I do a lot of reading and researching online, visiting certain sites. I actually visited the graveyard that is featured in this book. It really does exist in Weathersfield. I went and took a tour of that. And I also try to read as much as I can within my genre to understand some of the evolving trends and see what readers are going to be expecting out of my book. And then I have my writing days where that's pretty much all I do. And I do get stuck in that vacuum and I find that it can be difficult to break out of it and i force myself sometimes to stop writing and you know go experience the world <laughs> and get behind the computer and read and learn about things to make my book a little bit more multi-dimensional but it really depends on what phase of the book i'm in right now i'm still in the reading or yeah reading research and outlining phase for this next book
3: that sounds uh very involving no i
0: know you know what i know exactly i i am a freelance artist as well and i know exactly what you're talking about there are some days you wake up and it's like i can knock off three pieces and and be ready to draw half a dozen more and then there are days where i'm like i need to get this done Right. And it's just not in me and I'll spend the day researching like body poses and this and that and so mm-hmm. as long as you're doing something to push yourself forward it doesn't matter what it is you're doing
1: Right I find that when I'm actually writing it's difficult for me to stop. I'll knock yeah. out a chapter a night you know because I do still have a full-time job so that you know causes problems and I come home and I just I'll sit down and I'll write for the entire evening one chapter, then the next, and the next, and I won't stop until almost the entire book is done. And then you have to go back, and the, the product isn't necessarily ideal when you, that's all you've been doing for four or five months is writing an entire book, and you haven't really gone out to you know, do your research and think about your character development as thoroughly as you could have if you took time away from the computer.
4: And that, that is the bane of all of us, is that we have to have those day jobs, Casey? So. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean it's hard to get away.
3: From that. Yeah, without hitting the yeah, lottery hell. or yeah, exactly.
1: Enough
0: <laughs> <Showing up, laughs> working on it,
1: though.
4: Oh yeah. yes.
2: <laughs> this shit sucks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Java. Damn
2: podcast. I we could all do exactly on. what we wanted to do. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, podcasting should be my day job.
3: I agree. It should be my day job, too. There we
2: go. I want someone to pay me to play Zelda. (laughs) That
1: would be awesome.
3: You know, but there is somebody who is getting paid to do that. I want his job.
1: Yep. And there are full time writers who, you know, support themselves on only their writing. That would be great. That's the dream. Absolutely.
3: You're off to an interesting start. And Silver Vengeance is the first book in the Silver series. The next book, Silver Heat, will be out sometime next fall. We would love to see you back
0: when it opens. Where can you pick up a copy of this book?
3: I believe the Amazon links will be in the post.
1: Okay. (laughs) That's
3: what I want to hear. Okay.
1: Yep, it's available on Amazon. And also, if people are just a little unsure, if they have commitment issues, they can get the first chapter for free (laughs) on my website.
3: Oh there you go. And if you go to the website and I'll put that link in there too as well so that uh, you can get a sneak peek for free. Yes. And uh you'll enjoy I it. I enjoyed reading it. reading
4: it. That's one of those things we like to talk about here um is somebody actually showing the wares a little bit so then people will be a- want to buy your product.
2: Absolutely. I'll be Cri-
4: I'll be Kriana for a minute. Ooh. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know what's also very cool about Silver Vengeance is is that that it's on the Kindle owners lending library.
1: Yes, it is. I just recently put it up.
2: If you if you have a Kindle, which I am doing right now, you can read it for free. (laughs) Which is exactly what I'm gonna do because awesome. I'm, that's all I have to say. I'm too busy grabbing my Kindle and downloading it. Hold on.
3: Casey, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciated having you on the show. It was a pleasure meeting you and, and a pleasure talking with you about your book. Well,
1: thank you very much for having me. It has been a lot of fun.
3: Awesome. X, you're on. Wish we had music underneath, but that'll be in later. Don't worry about it.
1: That's Go
0: ahead. Give me some run DMC riffs, man. Go ahead. Freestyle it. Go ahead.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, now don't. Mm-hmm. Next week, author Rob Watts. His stories are so big, they come with their own soundtrack CDs. They do, by the <laughs> way, and
3: it's really cool.
0: Then <laughs> January 14th, Judas Priest, Risa Williams returns with the next installment of the Dragon Slayer series, The Iron Maiden. Uh, She's touring with Judas Priest?
3: I had no uh, idea. If only, if know, only,
0: baby. And then on January 28th... Actor Say and it Doug isn't Doug so. It's, oh, my friend, actor Doug Jones. He's Abe Sapien. He's the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. He's the gentleman from Buffy. And now... A mime!
4: I know!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic-Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Zanois. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes.
3: Dome. Oh, well, I got to tell you, it's been an interesting night. Criana Zombraria, and I hope things worked out well for you. Now, the revered Time Vortex is empty without you. From the four-color vault of comics tonight, great thanks to Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead.
4: Yay, Amy and Rory are going away. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even top that one. <laughs>
3: yeah. And from Outpost Gallifrey, our gaming editor, thank you, Java.
2: Mr. Dog, the... Dog food for small yappy type dogs.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's been one hell of a night. Thank you for joining us. This is Dome Saying Genie. Shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Good
4: night! Good
3: night. Hey. Cheer up, me bad. You barely touched your amoeba. It's really funny shit.